Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What is going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another mailbag. The show, as always, is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. More from them later. Uh, before we start the show, also, just want to say really quickly, uh, just for anybody who isn't aware, our beloved colleague, Doug Kyle, unfortunately lost his daughter in a battle with cancer uh, yesterday. So if you want to help support their family uh, with, you know, just an unimaginably terrible situation they're going through, this is the link to their GoFundMe. We also have it pinned in the chat if you want to support them. Thoughts, prayers, if you can afford donations. You know, I'm sure he would more than appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, to Doug, we absolutely love you, man. And, uh, you know, you're in our hearts. Um, but, yeah, going on to Patriots news. With the mailbag, we had a lot of news break today, especially when it comes to the Patriots vacancies on their staff. You guys had some great questions about free agency, a little bit of draft stuff. And to help me get through these, I had to enlist one of my favorite people on the beat, Zach Cox, to get through all these. Zach, how you doing, brother? Taylor, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back on. And, and yeah, first, just before we start off, I want to send my condolences and my support as well to, to Doug and all the kids. I worked very closely with Doug at Nesson for four, five, six years. Their family's fantastic. Um, as you, you mentioned, the, the, the GoFundMe link, it's in the chat here. Basically, look up any Patriots reporter on Twitter. They'll have it somewhere on their timeline uh it's there's been a ton of support for that family they really need it right now so uh yeah i would love for that to keep coming absolutely absolutely um so in terms of patriots who's such a weird pivot but in terms of patriots news going to the report today from albert breer he dropped a lot of really interesting nuggets among them uh, we found out that shane waldron was just another name added to the list of offensive coordinators from the McVay tree who was interviewed by the Patriots. Obviously, he ended up signing with the Bears to be their offensive coordinator. But again, very clear what direction the Patriots are trying to go in. It's very obvious they want somebody from that tree. And the McVay, you know, coaching atmosphere is really it's about communication. You know, as one of the younger coaches in the league, he's really good at getting the players where they're at. So it would make sense to try to get somebody from there. Oh, we also heard about Gerald Alexander, the assistant defensive backs coach for the Steelers. He also interviewed for the defensive coordinator job, but I'm not sure that's what he was truly interviewing for because Albert Rear reported that Demarcus Covington, the Patriots defensive line coach, is currently a strong favorite to actually land the defensive coordinator job. So Zach, You've been covering Demarcus Covington for a while. Let me know what you know about him and why you think it makes sense for him to be the favorite to fill that job. Yeah, I think this would be the obvious move uh, and the best move for, for Gerard Mayo. Demarcus Covington makes a ton of sense uh, to fill this defensive coordinator role. He was probably going to have a chance to do it either in New England or somewhere else, either mm -hmm. this year or at the very latest next year. He interviewed for two jobs uh, in Arizona and with the Chargers. 
last year, got really strong reviews uh, from people in both of those buildings. He's been with the Patriots for a long time now. I believe he joined it in 2016 or 2017. Uh, and the fact that he was already getting defensive coordinator looks last year, and then he follows that up by spearheading the, the unit that really led the best run defense in the NFL and had a player within his group, Christian Barmore, who was really, I would say, the breakout star of this Patriots season. The, those are two things that really just boosted his resume. Uh, you also hear a lot of good things from players in the Patriots building ab about the way that uh, DeMarcus Covington kind of interacts with them and coaches them up. He's a really highly respected guy in that locker room. So it uh, doesn't sound like it's a total done deal yet as, as of mm -hmm. the, the latest reporting that we've seen, uh, but it certainly seems to be trending in that direction. And, and again, this would be uh, the obvious move uh, keep some continuity there. It does seem like we're going to have some new faces or we're going to see some new faces on this defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, but to keep somebody like Covington, who's really a rising star in that profession, makes a ton of sense if they do close this deal. Absolutely. And I know a member of the CLNS family, Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald, I know he wrote a piece about, you know, what the players felt about Covington, also how he performed as the defensive coordinator from the American team for the Senior Bowl last season, also got glowing reviews where they say you kind of have to condense the playbook and get guys up to speed really quickly. And there he said he aced that test, another feather in his cap, and then breakout stars also, Anthony Jennings. Obviously more of an early down contributor, but he led the team in tackles for loss or no gain, which is a pretty impressive stat for a guy who's really a role player for them. So DeMarcus Covington, obviously very strong candidate, uh, would be excited to see what he could do as a leader of that defense. Moving on to the mailbag, though, we got a lot of good questions here. The first one I'm going to throw out. Based on the known interviews Mayo is having, what are the biggest pros of the McVay style offense? What is the core philosophy of the McVay system? And I actually got a little cheat sheet for us here as well, because I wanted to kind of get a better idea from my own perspective of what this tree does really well or what the kind of tendencies were for them last season. Very heavy 11 personnel team of also means three wide receivers. No one played more. I think they were also the only team to have a thousand snaps in any personnel grouping. So that's a pretty strong one there. They also like to align with the quarterback and then a running back directly behind them. So relative to the rest of the league, not a ton of shotgun where it's running back to one side of the other. And they love going under center because obviously they really like to have the threat of play action where you turn your back to the defense, help sell it better. Uh, also, trip snub. This is a little bit in the weeds for the scheme junkies like me. Basically, what it means is you have three receivers to one side, but they're all wide receivers. And then you just have one tight end on the backside. Now, what that does is it gives you a coverage tell, makes it easier for the quarterback to see what the defense is doing. Also, because it's such a rare formation, it's kind of easier to predict what they want to do to you. Uh, and then bunches, as we know, the McVay offense really likes their condensed formations with receivers in the same vicinity, makes it harder for defenders to try to make contact and also carry them, sometimes forces them to check into certain defensive roles. Saw that with O'Brien, but they do it a lot more, more than anybody in the league. And also jet motion. It's a talk of the town in the league, really, for the past few years, where you like to put defenses in conflict by having guys move before the snap, where it forces the defense to communicate well. And a lot of the time, if you look through the tape, it led to a lot of blown coverages there. So from your perspective, Zach, what would you say are some of the tenets of the Sean McVay offense outside of all the stuff that we just listed? Yeah, I mean, I think the you touched on it pretty well there, but the, the spark notes version of what you think of when you think of a Sean McVay offense, it's 11 personnel. They run a ton of three wide receivers. It's essentially, I don't know the exact, the their exact usage rate this past season, but it's far and away the, the heaviest in the NFL, or at least has yeah. been in years past. So 
11 personnel, lots of bunch formations, really condensed formations. You don't see, um, it's basically, if you, if you flip on the, the game, you'll see everybody kind of condensed closer to the line than usual. Usually their wide receivers uh, are, are inside the numbers a lot of times. You don't see them spread the field as much as other teams. Uh, and then motion, the, as you mentioned, they run more jet motion than anybody in the NFL. Uh, McVeigh has evolved some of these things over, over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, the offense nowadays doesn't look exactly the same as it did uh, when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl three or four years ago. Uh, but those kind of key tenants are still there, uh, as you kind of laid out there with, with all of those statistics. I think it's been very interesting that three of the four known offensive coordinator interviews to this point have been from that, sh- that McVeigh tree. Uh, I don't know if you really want to call Nick Cayley from that tree since he did come up here in New England, but he ob- obviously spent this past season working under Sean McVay with the Rams. Uh, and then the fourth is uh, Joe Burrow's quarterback coach. So it, they're mm-hmm. kind of casting their, their fishing rod in some pretty favorable places at the moment, but it's very clear that uh, Gerard Mayo in assembling this staff certainly has a lot of respect uh, for that, sh- that I keep, I keep saying the Shanahan off the Sean McVay. It's offense, tough. <laughs> uh, and what that's been able to do uh, over the last couple of seasons. Absolutely. I like that you touch on the like uh, the, adapt- uh, the adaptability and how they've changed over the years. Because one, you think of McVay and obviously, you know, he's similar to the Shanahan tree because they all came up in that Washington system where everybody just went across the league and just became like the best offensive minds in the game. But it's not the same outside zone scheme that we did see when they played them in the Super Bowl where that was really what they were known for. And then bootlegs off of that. They ran more duo or man than any other offense in the NFL last season. And the Patriots were second. So I know there's been some talk about, well, would Mike and Wenu still be a fit? Like, would they have to completely retool their offensive nine? Not necessarily, because you can still run instead of outside zone, where, like the name suggests, you're trying to get outside the tackles. You can run mid zone, where really it looks the same, except for right on the edge, where the tackler, the tight end, whoever it is, instead of trying to hook around to get the edge, they're really just trying to push horizontally. And then you want to hit inside the tackles based on how the defense reacts Mike and Wendu can do that kind of thing. And especially the duo just getting downhill. They also run some inside zone. That kind of thing suits the Patriots personnel right now. I think the biggest thing would be they need to get different receivers. A big thing with, if you're going to go 11 personnel and run a lot, you need guys who can block safeties effectively. Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup are two big dudes, and they do a lot of dirty work in the run game. Demario Douglas isn't really that kind of guy. He's probably going to be the type of player that they put in motion, have him a lot on passing downs. Maybe Kendrick Bourne, if they re-sign him, he last year was used a lot in that Z role, kind of like a Jacoby Myers, where he does a lot of that kind of dirty work. If Juju Smith-Schuster is still on the roster, he kind of fits into that type of mold a little bit. But obviously, you know, didn't have the best season. We have no idea how that's going to go. They'd incur dead money if they cut him. I think it's like if you trade him after June, uh, it's a little less of a hit. and You actually get to gain some cap space there. Uh, But, yeah, that adaptability in the run game, the pass game going from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford, where, you know, Goff is really just trying to attack the middle of the field intermediate, where Matt Stafford, they opened it up for him, and they were like, yeah, man, go out there and sling it. Like Drew Bledsoe to Tom Brady, just have fun and play to your strengths so yeah over the years especially when it comes to the way that they are able to again I mentioned earlier but the way they speak to their players and the way that they really work together um I know Jordan Rodriguez of the Athletic who does a phenomenal job covering the Rams uh touched on Nick Haley specifically and how he's all energy all the time he's a really good teacher and Zach Robinson you know working with different quarterbacks is in a similar boat so adaptability communication uh and then I would say also you know all the tenants that we mentioned scheme wise anything else you got 
Oh, uh, just a, a quick note on Nick Cayley. I think he'd be a fascinating candidate for mm -hmm. this job just because this was, there were a lot of people that thought he should have gotten this shot either last year or two years ago uh, before the Patriots brought in, uh, especially before they brought in Matt Patricia. At that mm -hmm. point, Nick Cayley had been their longest tenured offensive assistant. Uh, it seemed to be kind of percolating toward him, potentially getting an offensive coordinator shot at some point. And then that just never materialized for him uh, here in New England. But I know there are still a lot of people in that building that respect what he did here. He would be an interesting blend of that kind of patriot culture that Robert Kraft still clearly still wants to have on this team. And the fact that he basically was able to do kind of almost a study abroad under Sean McVay <laughs> for a season, kind of gather up all of that intel from obviously the offense that, as you mentioned, is really kind of dominating the NFL nowadays. So I uh, don't really know what direction they're going to go at this point, but uh, I think Kaylee is an interesting name to watch for sure. Study abroad is a really good way to put it. Also, you know, the ideal, I don't know how possible this is, but if they get Zach Robinson and Nick Haley, just give them better titles, that would be ideal. One thing also Albert Breer did mention is that the Patriots would want to bring in someone who could kind of be a senior advisor to them because neither Zach Robinson nor Nick Haley has experience calling plays. That's a lot to ask if anybody in their first season with an offense is going to be pretty significantly retooled. So that's another thing to look out for, who they get to fill that role and kind of be a mentor to those guys in some of the aspects they're not used to since they've never been coordinators before. Absolutely. And I think, oh yeah, we can continue. I think we'll touch on that more in a later mailbag question. So go ahead. Yeah, we can, we can go to the next All one. Good. All right, this is kind of a fun one. What do you think about Wes Welker, an offensive coordinator? If not him, who do you see coming in? So we talked, we touched on Robinson. We touched on Kaylee. Wes Welker would be a very interesting choice. He's learned under some great minds. He came into the league as a coach under Bill O'Brien in Houston, then moved on and worked as a receivers coach for the 49ers, obviously in that kind of McVeigh type system. You know, obviously they went off and branched did their own thing, but another one of the premier systems in the NFL and then went off with Mike McDaniel to be the receivers coach for the Dolphins. So, and we also know that he and Bill Belichick had some beef. So he probably wasn't coming anywhere near New England with Belichick in charge. There haven't been any whispers about West, but I mean, I'd be all for it. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, I've seen some, some West Welker talk percolating over the last couple of days. I think that it's just, uh, there, there was one of those, those fake accounts uh, tweeted out a fake report. I think it was like last week that the Patriots were planning to interview Wes Welker. Uh, as their mm -hmm. offensive coordinator. And I think a lot of people took that as something that was actually happening uh, to the best of our knowledge that is not happening at this yeah. point. Um, he would be certainly an interesting candidate. As you mentioned, his resume as a coach, he, he hasn't been coaching for all that long. He only got his first coaching gig back in 2017, but came up under O'Brien in Houston was in the Shanahan system for, for a couple of years in San Francisco. And then obviously now, working under Mike McDaniel in Miami. Uh, also worth noting that he's been Jalen Waddles, wide receiver coach for both mm -hmm. of Waddles' professional seasons. Uh, he very quickly developed into one of the best rookie wideouts uh, in the NFL. Uh, Welker's never called plays, uh, to, to my mm -hmm. knowledge. He's certainly never done it in, in real, actual, regular season games. Uh, so it might still be a jump from wherever he is now to uh, whatever it would take to become a, a full-fledged offensive coordinator. Uh, but I mean, I think it'd certainly be an, at least an interesting call for uh, for Gerard Mayo, even if you see if you can uh, pull him out of Miami, come back and be wide receivers coach here and maybe coach up some of the young receivers that the Patriots are going to have. But, yeah, I I don't think I would put Welker as like the top of my 
Patriots offensive coordinator <laughs> wish list at the moment. Uh, but if they did want to give him a call, I think that would be an interesting option at least. Perfect segue for our next mailbag question. Based off the current candidates, who's your ideal offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and special teams coordinator combo? And do you have any concerns about the lack of potential experience on the staff? Because a lot of the guys they've interviewed, I think Tem Lukabu is the only one who's 40 years old that I know of, at least of the candidates that haven't been snatched up yet. Yeah, the second part of this was what I was just going to touch on 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 the Mm -hmm. previous question. Because you very well could be going into this season with a head coach who's never been a head coach, an off or a defensive coordinator who's never called defensive plays, and an offensive coordinator who's never called offensive plays, and all of them might be in their 30s. Like yeah. that's even though even if all of those guys are capable, and I think Gerard Mayo is very capable. I think this was a a, a strong head coach hire for the Patriots. I already talked about Demarcus Covington. I think he'd be great in that role. Even still, it's two guys who've never done those jobs before. And most of the or all of the reported candidates uh, for the OC job so far have never been offensive coordinators before. I think when you have a situation like that, you need to get somebody in the in the building in a whether it's an assistant head coach or, or a senior advisor or a senior offensive assistant, like whatever his title is. I think you need somebody in there that has had experience at the NFL level. You need like a like a Wade Phillips uh, for Sean McVay when he first got his head coaching job. Uh, even even Vic Fangio now for, uh, for uh, Mike McDaniel down in Miami. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a different situation with him because he came in after his first season. But I think it's tough when you just have a bunch of really young coaches who are sort of feeling their way out um, through this whole process for the first time and you don't have kind of a experienced voice in the room. Uh, the difficult part with that is that Bill Belichick would probably be that experienced voice for Gerard right. Mayo. He has been for his whole career. And to find whoever that would be, did, do you pluck him from, do you find a former Patriots assistant who's no longer coaching? Do you find somebody from outside of the, the tree that you really respect? I don't know who that person would be, uh, but I think it would make a lot of sense to bring in at least one of those types uh, to serve on this coaching staff in some capacity. Absolutely. Defensive side of the ball, I feel like you're just hoping that Steve Belichick doesn't leave. Obviously, he has all the experience calling plays for the defense. So if you promote him to like an assistant head coach, kind of like senior advisor sort of role, at least you've got somebody still in the building who does have that experience. Offense and special teams, that is tough. But one name I've been thinking about, Mike Vrabel. The only coaching uh, connections that I've seen from him are with the Chargers and with the Falcons, who obviously the Falcons, we'll touch on this on the next question. Their situation is a little more up in the air, but the Chargers, I think Jim Harbaugh's been locked in for quite some time. It feels like they're other. Yeah, I feel like the other ones have been pretty disingenuous, the other people they've brought in, because that's just, there's been so much buzz around it, it's hard to think that's not a done deal. But what would you think about Mike Vrabel potentially joining the team if he doesn't get a head coaching job in some capacity in like an advisory role or maybe somewhere in the front office, something like that? I think that would be a fascinating possibility. I think that would be a very, I think that would be a fantastic hire for the Patriots if they're mm-hmm. able to pull it off. Uh, I don't know if they will be able to. I don't know if that's something that Vrabel would be interested in doing. Uh, but as you mentioned, and I know we're going to touch on this more a little bit later, there aren't a ton of head coaching opportunities floating around mm-hmm. these days. The, that list is already starting to dwindle. Uh, and you could be left with a situation at the end of this hiring cycle where Mike Vrabel could be the the odd man out and he could be entering an off season with really no job so far for next year. And if Robert Kraft, who clearly is a very big Mike Vrabel fan, if he's able to sell him on something like that, be like, Hey, 
come in, help the organization. I know how much you loved it here. I know how, how much appreciation you still have for this team and this franchise. You're not going to be the head coach, but you're going to be something. You're, you're, going, mm-hmm. you're going to have some position of power here. Um, then you, you do run into the potential of kind of butting heads between him and Gerard Mayo, depending on how much power that, that Vrabel does have. Um, but I, I think that would be, if you can get in something of get, bring in someone of his stature and kind of set the, the parameters properly. Uh, I think that would be a, a very interesting idea. Um, I think it's probably a pipe dream. Uh, I think yep. I'm sure that's what, what Robert Kraft would love to, <laughs> to be able to pull off, to be like, Hey, I can just take, both of these head coaching candidates and have both of them working for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would, I'll believe that when I see it, but I do think that that's something that would definitely help the Patriots if they're able to swing it. I fully acknowledge I'm manifesting. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that would be so, so cool, but you know, yeah, it's, it may be a pipe dream. Although as these head coaching jobs start to dwindle, it's like, all right, does he want to go to college or does he want to just come back to a place where he knows he can maybe have some influence and that he's familiar with? It's interesting, but we will see. All right, so we touched on the Falcons. It's starting to seem like Bill Belichick isn't the lock that we thought he was. And this was a good question. Odds of Bill Belichick ends up not coaching in the NFL this coming season. Feels like 75% or higher at this point. It looked like after that second interview, oh, Bill Belichick going to the Falcons, like, done deal. They're interviewing a lot of other candidates. There was Jim Harbaugh, which, you know, anywhere else he's gone other than the Chargers, it's like, all right, maybe due diligence or something like that, seeing what else is out there. But they've started to interview a lot of the other top candidates as well. So what do you think the chances are that maybe they just he runs out of jobs? Or if he doesn't get the Falcons job, he just says, hey, I'm going to sit this season out, maybe do TV. That might be a little bit. That, talk about a pipe dream. That might be a little bit much. But Or just sits out if he doesn't really like the opportunities and waits for something better to come next season. Yeah, second interviews too for for the Falcons. We're seeing some that I believe it was Bobby Slowick and, and one mm-hmm. or two others that that got uh, invitations for in person second interviews this week. So certainly, the further along we get in this, the less likely it seems that Bill Belichick will be the the Falcons' next head coach. I think seventy five percent that he's not going to get the job is still a little bit high. I still think at the end of the day, cooler heads are going to prevail uh, in that organization and say, "Hey, like." we can hire Bill Belichick. Like, let's just do it. Let's like, this is the greatest coach of all time. We're going to not hire him to hire some guy who's, who's never done the job before. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's Belichick is going to land a job and it is going to be with the Falcons, but yeah, it's, this seems like something that if it was going to happen, it would have been, or if, or if this was going to be kind of a seamless transition, it would have happened pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. I don't know if this is some kind of like, leverage play from Atlanta's mm-hmm. side where maybe Belichick is asking for more than Arthur Blank is wanting to give at the moment, whether that's from a financial standpoint or a power within the organization or a that's structural standpoint. Yeah. So yeah. It, this may be a case of Belichick saying, Hey, I want this job, but I need to have X, Y, Z in place. And this is the only way that I'm going to do it. And this could be Arthur Blank and the franchise saying, Hey, like, we want you, but we only want you under these conditions. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with with your kind of read on the uh, the second interview that he had. At, after that point, it seemed like okay, well, he's going to go there. Now it's a question of which coaches are going to join him there. But right. the fact that that was what, a week ago at this point, mm-hmm. close to a week ago, and we still haven't had a resolution, it's uh, definitely surprising. And and yeah, the longer this goes on, the less likely uh, it seems that that Bill Belichick is going to land there. And I do think if he doesn't land there. 
then I don't know where he goes. Cause I don't think right. there are any other openings that really make a ton of sense either from his perspective or from the team's perspective or both. Absolutely. And you mentioned the control inside the organization because the Falcons already have a good general manager in place. And I know he was at the second meeting. So then it's okay. How much power bill was obviously willing to concede power to stay in new England. Robert Kraft was like, yeah, you can't give someone power, then take it away. That's not really how it works, especially with someone of Belichick's caliber. So is he saying, yeah, I want final say. And they're saying, um, you can have a say, but you're not going to have final say. And then if we're being very honest, there's also the fact that he's probably not going to be coaching there for more than three years. Everyone knows he's chasing the all-time wins record. Maybe he stays around for the for another year after that, and then he's going to be gone. So from the Falcons' perspective, it's fair to wonder, well, should we invest in someone who we're just going to have to do this all over again in a few years, or should we get one of these young up-and-comers who we can have in our building for a decade plus and really try to build something where we know it's going to be sustained as opposed to, once again, just kind of having to flip the switch all over again? Absolutely. And, and then from Belichick's side, too, it's – if the perfect opportunity doesn't arise, which it seems like it hasn't arisen because if it had, then Bill Belichick would have already been hired somewhere. Right. Is it better to sit out a year and try again in the next hiring cycle at that point, acknowledging that if you break Don Shula's record, it's not going to happen until you're 74 at the earliest. Uh, and then, I mean, father time just kind of eventually catches up to you. It's not like yeah. he has uh, 20 years of coaching in front of him to, to kind of get to that point that he wants to get to. So it, it's a, it's a gamble on his part. If he really wants that record, which according to all reports he does, will he be, would he be willing to say, okay, I'll accept maybe 85% of what I want in order to have a better chance of getting that? Because yeah, obviously if you, you go a full extra year without getting any more victories, it's probably going to take him. If, if he gets a job now, it's going to take him at least, this coming season, then next season, most likely, unless he just instantly does phenomenal to hit that record. So yeah, you're, you're pushing back that, uh, that kind of celebration date further and further. And obviously professional football and college football are not the same thing with colleges recruiting. There's a lot more that goes into it, but Nick Saban just retired because he admitted, like, I'm just getting too old for it. Like for him, it's, you got to ask these kids like, yeah, are you going to be around for the next 40 years? And he couldn't promise them. Yes. And also at some point, just physically, it's a, it's mentally and physically, it's a very taxing job. It takes a lot of time and commitment. And like you said, if he just gets to a certain age where like you don't see it coming, just one offseason, you're like, geez, I, <laughs> I don't know if I have another one in me. That's going to be a pretty tough position for him to be in. Uh, we're going to move on from the coaching and the staff stuff over to some free agency questions. But first, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. The NFL season is wrapping up. Why? There is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, 
Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GAMBLINGHELPLINEMA.ORG or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So moving on to some free agency stuff. This was an interesting one that Mike Cadillac and I talked about yesterday. And we were kind of going through agent options. If it was your decision to pay Matt Judon or trade him for draft capital and use the money to pay a younger replacement, such as Josh Allen out of Jacksonville. It's tough. I think the Judon situation is going to be a fascinating one to watch this off season because he's, he's still under contract. He's not a free agent, but it depends on how much of a reset the Patriots want to do defensively. Uh, because I think even after the injury, you have to expect that Judon will come back and be one of your best defensive players this season, but he's getting up there. I believe he's going to be 30, either 31 or 32 when this season starts, uh, you're going to have to pay him pretty soon. Uh, and I can see the value in trading him and using that money as, as the, uh, the questioner question asker here noted to pay a younger player. The issue with that is whoever, whichever younger player, if he's going to be a player of Judon's caliber is going to be very, very, very expensive. And I think you have needs elsewhere on that, on this team where I don't know if you want to go out and put top dollar into a kind of high end edge rusher. Like Josh Allen is going to make a lot of money on the free agent market. So uh, I don't know. It's a tough one. I would probably say no in this uh, situation. I think I would keep Judon, but it's not a lock by, by any stretch. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I think if you're writing out the, the Patriots 2024 roster in, in Sharpie right now, Judon is not one of the players that I would have, penciled in there as like a stone cold lock to be on this team next year. Absolutely. And with his role, especially it's tough because if you get a replacement, it's someone who's going to have to play on every down because Matt Judon, he's known as a pass rusher, obviously and the Patriots pass rush really fell off a cliff outside of Christian Barmore when he got hurt, but he's also, I don't, I think last season he kind of dipped early in the season, but he is one of their better run defenders and he drops into coverage. Like he does a little bit of everything, but at the same time, like you said, 
He's getting up there in age. You don't know what that situation is going to be like or how much he's going to want to get paid. Is he willing to take, you know, acknowledge that he's an older guy coming off a significant injury and be like, all right, I understand. I'm probably not going to break the bank. Or is he going to say, nope, my career is coming to an end. If you're not going to pay me, I'd like someone else to. And one, I think, thing that we can't overstate is the impact he has in the locker room. Like he was still around even when he was hurt. The energy, like I know it definitely felt a little different when we were doing interviews. I mean, being in a locker room without Judon because he's just such a magnetic and outgoing personality. So that's going to be an interesting little issue that the Patriots have on their hands where it was easier to kind of give him a little bit more money last year, but especially with the injury and another year, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be very tough, but good question. All right. Besides players on expiring contracts, which others might be cut or traded and showed the door in the offseason? So obviously probably going outside of you after this one. <laughs> uh, I think Lawrence Guy is an interesting name there. Uh, he's getting up there in age. I believe he's going – he might be the oldest player on the team now, assuming yeah, that well, Matthew Slater yeah. retires as, as we all expect him to. Uh, he was a – to me, he was a surprise cut candidate last year, just given, on, given where his contract is, uh, and now kind of – a year further down that line, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up happening to him at some point this offseason or, or this summer, uh, especially if the Patriots get some more youth uh, on that defensive line. And the really interesting one is David Andrews. Um, mm. I think I would bring David Andrews back, especially with all the upheaval the Patriots had on their offensive line. He was really the only constant in that entire unit. He played 100% of offensive snaps was obviously a captain. I think he was the only really consistently reliable leader on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so if I'm making those decisions, I'm bringing David Andrews back. And again, he is under contract, but the Patriots did draft essentially his replacement or who they hope will be his replacement in Jake Andrews in the fourth round last year, fourth round pick. It's a significant draft investment. This isn't a guy they picked up in like the late sixth round. Uh, Andrew, Jake Andrews didn't play a ton this season, but did show some flashes late in the year when he was able to get on the field at guard. Uh, I'm sure it'll depend heavily on how ready they feel Jake Andrews is um, to, to whether they feel okay with parting ways with, with David Andrews. And also they, they need to build up that kind of leadership structure around the offense that Gerard Mayo talked about in his opening presser. So uh, again, not somebody that I would advocate getting rid of, uh, but I do think that he's an interesting one to watch as they go through this whole process here. Like you mentioned, for those offensive leaders, it was Andrews and Hunter Henry, who's a free agent. Yeah. Two players that he listed and then kind of gave an awkward, like, oh, yeah, but, you know, the quarterback, whoever it is, is probably going to have to lead to it. It's like, ah, got gotcha. uh, I guess for me, I would say the receivers. Like, I think that room is going to probably – I, I, it's, it's really hard to say. You'd think that they're going to gut it out because of how bad it was. Devontae Parker and Juju are at the top of that list, the guys who just did not live up to their contracts. But you signed them to bad contracts. You extended Devontae Parker after what was admittedly a very good summer. You know, I know from the outside it seems strange, but watching him at camp every day, it's like – He's catching at least one deep bomb for Mac Jones every single day and looked like their true wide receiver one, where even the other guys were saying, like, yeah, we're all wide receiver ones, but, like, it's probably Devontae. But then you see the on-field effort, the lack of production. He looked better with Zappi, but even with Zappi, you saw, like, the interception against the Bills where he kind of floats his route up and allows Rasul Douglas to get in the window. I know that the receivers seem to like him. Like on social media, you always see them calling him Unk, and I feel like he, you know, fits in with them really well. Also, similar with Juju, I think there's a lot of respect for him. 
But in terms of what they give you on the field, I just really don't know if they're worth the contracts, but you also have to find a trade partner after the deadline if you want to not incur a ton of dead money on those deals. And then it's okay. You already have money. Are you just trying to do a cultural reset and move on from them anyway? I don't really know where they go. It's just a bad situation with guys that I don't know who's going to want to trade for them and take on that money anyway. Uh, and then I'd kind of throw in J.C. Jackson as well because the Patriots added Alex Austin and Marco Wilson at the end of the season. Now, Alex Austin is an um, exclusive rights free agent, so not a guarantee to come back, but most likely usually see those guys, you know, they figure it out and get them back on the team. Uh, but J.C. won, obviously – all the issues that happened throughout the season. He did not finish the season due to mental health reasons. I'm not including that in this equation, but the on-field play, especially where it was at least once a week, you're seeing him bust a coverage or give up a big play where it's, it's not even like John Jones who every once in a while will give up a big catch, but he's right at the catch point or it's like he's playing off coverage and it's a 15 yard outer stop where it's, yeah, on the stat sheet, it doesn't look good, but watching it, you know, there's not a lack of quality of play. With JC, it wasn't that. You know, he had some okay moments, but there were too many lapses. And with the depth that they managed to acquire towards the end of the season, you got Isaiah Bolden coming back. You got, obviously, Christian Gonzalez coming back. I just don't see how you justify how much he's supposed to be making when you can cut him, save all that money. And maybe if you really want to, you can re-sign him on a cheaper deal because he really has zero leverage. His reputation is probably shot right now, especially considering he didn't have the rebirth in New England. A lot of people thought that he might have. So I would say Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, and uh, J.C. Jackson are my guys who are really on watch. Uh, I, I mean, J.C. is a a great one. I honestly even forgot that he was in this category because I would be <laughs> shocked if he was on the team this year, just especially shocked if he is was on the team for the current contract that he has. Cause I think the Patriots can save right around 13 million by, by yeah. cutting him. Um, I, I think that's a no brainer just that for all the reasons that you laid out. Maybe if you want to swing around and try to get him back uh, on a cheaper deal and kind of give him a, a second or third chance here, Maybe that's something that they potentially explore, but yeah, I can't possibly see him being back uh, for the the current value of his deal. Uh, I feel like even during the season when he was playing well, there was probably not a, a strong, a very strong chance that he was going to be on that same intact contract going into uh, the following season, just because it was so inflated. Uh, and then with the with the wide receivers, I'm curious if we see something similar to to the Johnu Smith trade involving mm. uh, one of the two maybe juju where it's essentially just hey give us a late seventh round pick and take this guy's contract from us because yep. uh, both of those guys they they've been productive players in the league it hasn't worked out for them uh certainly this season both of them are massive disappointments uh, but maybe there's another coach around the league that says hey yeah we'll take a flyer on this guy we've got some extra cap space why not sure here's a, a six round pick uh so i think uh, that's a situation that the Patriots will probably explore at least this offseason because, uh, as you mentioned, cutting, uh, especially uh, Smith-Schuster, would be a lot more uh, detrimental from a financial perspective uh, than finding a trade partner. And and the most interesting thing about all this is that we, it's kind of a new regime, but it's kind of mm -hmm. not that's making right. all of these calls uh, because, obviously, you have a new head coach. But at least as of this point, the people running the personnel department were the same people that were highly involved in the personnel department last year. It's basically got to come down to whether the uh, kind of the viewpoint of Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf uh, strays significantly from 
what Bill Belichick ultimately wanted because he was the one making these final calls in the past. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird situation to try to handicap because it's not a completely new deck of of, of shot callers here, but mm-hmm. all the people who are in charge did not have the final say in the past. So you don't really know how they're feeling about any given player. Yeah, and I didn't even mention the fact that they're both guys with a lot of tread on their tires who are consistently hurt. So there's another hoop you got to jump through. Just pray that whatever team you're trying to sell on Juju only watches the Steelers game. It's like, look, you still got it a little bit. Huh? And only the Bailey Zappi, Devontae Parker tape. All right, moving on. With cap space this offseason, would you rather see the Pat the, uh, the Pats take chances on low money risk guys or splurge for big money guys or even trading for high price guys on other teams? Personally, I think the balance has to be there. Like, you know, you just don't only have to spend a lot of money. I think you still want to have that Patriots type of philosophy where you get good guys in the middle of your roster who can really fill it out and play big roles for you. It's just it can't be like 2021 where the guys who are making all the money for you are two tight ends who aren't as dynamic as they're being paid and then a nose tackle. You know, like you just have to spend the money in smart ways and not give out bad contracts. When it comes to trading for high price guys, don't give up your draft capital. You're in prime position right now, hopefully a position you will never be in again in terms of having picks in the top five of each of the rounds. So, yeah, for my money, I don't really want them trading for anybody unless I can get a great receiver for like a second round pick. Uh, Don't give up that number three. It's way too valuable. And then again, in free agency, yeah, uh, send out some big money deals for players who deserve it. But make sure that you're not just spending money to spend money. Yeah, they can't piece it together the way that they've tried to for the last couple of years. Uh, especially on offense, just the the nickel and dime kind of moves. They worked in the the kind of dynasty heyday when you had Tom Brady to to smooth out a lot of the rough edges. They haven't worked in recent years. They especially did not work last year uh, at wide receiver and at offensive tackle. You need to bring in some actual, real, legitimate kind of star level NFL players. Uh, Again, you don't need to go out and, and kind of get the top of the market guy at every spot and blow all your money on those guys. You still need, uh, the kind of middle to bottom tier of your roster uh, to be strong, to be competitive. You can't just kind of say, Hey, we got these three kind of $20 million a year guys, and then nothing else behind them. Obviously you still need the roster building strategy, but I don't think that they're in a position where they, if they are expecting to compete this year at the very least be uh, a playoff team in 2024, I don't think they can go, go about it the same way that they did for, uh, for the last two off seasons and especially this past off season where you say, Hey, we have a gigantic hole at right tackle. Let's sign two backups and draft a guard in the fifth round. Like that's just not a viable strategy anymore. And uh, Gerard Mayo based on his, his public comments, at least so far, seems like he is willing to kind of lead the charge of, Hey, let's go spend some money and get some dudes. Uh, we don't know if he's going to be the guy having the final say on that. He probably won't be, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm sure his voice will be uh, loud and, and listened to by whoever is the one who, who's ultimately making uh, kind of that final phone call there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm so fascinated to see what we get out of the Matt Groh and Elliot Wolf era. Because two guys were Elliot Wolf, he has enough of a background where I can be cautiously optimistic. You know, came up in two pretty good front offices, especially with the Packers, obviously, and his dad. You know, nepotism exists in the NFL. We know it, but it doesn't always mean it's not justified. Look at Steve and Brian Belichick. But then Matt Groh, we really have no idea how much of, you know, the Patriots' um, player acquisitions and departures were on him and Belichick. So, That'll be really interesting to see. But speaking of some of these big name players, any chance we get any of the free agent wide receivers or all the big names getting franchise tagged? I actually have a list from our friend of the show, Brad Spielberg with PFF, who did a top 10 list at every position. Well, let me get that up so you can actually see the entire thing. There we go. Uh, so, Zach, which of these names most fascinates you? I will say I think the top three names on this list are almost locks to get the franchise tag. Maybe not as much Mike Evans, but Higgins and Pittman, I feel like they're never even going to touch the open market. Yeah, I think as it says on that list, T. Higgins is the the number one guy uh, in agency. But, yeah, based on everything that that, that we've heard, seems like he is most likely going to be franchise tagged by Cincinnati. Maybe that changes. Maybe he does hit the market. If he does, I think he would be the ideal addition for, for the Patriots, just based on what they've lacked in previous years and what they need now going a little bit further down that list. There's not a ton of like bring a guy in and he's going to be your number one. Yeah. Like I I do like Calvin Ridley. I I like Calvin Mm -hmm. Ridley a lot. I know the Patriots had interest in him when he was coming into the draft because um, he was coming out of Alabama. He had all those yeah. connections yeah. <laughs> there. Uh, they, I remember being really surprised when they brought him for, for an official visit. Uh, Cause they're like, well, they're not going to draft a receiver in the first round. And in, in, in here, and Calvin Ridley, they have <laughs> Makes too much here. sense, but yeah, <laughs> but, but I think he was a guy that would, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, probably not a bring him in. He's an instant, no doubt kind of pro bowl caliber receiver. Um, but I think he's a guy who would really help them. Marquise Brown. I'm, Eh, I'm much more yeah, lukewarm on. I, I don't think he's somebody that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he's he's a productive player. He, he's been a good player in the past, uh, but he's got the injury history, uh, the size there. It just doesn't seem like something that would really, uh, really fit what the Patriots are looking kind for. Of feels, kind of feels like an overlap with Pop a little bit, right? In terms of like the electric bit. slot guy who's kind of undersized, but like I mean, I think Pop is tougher than Marquise in some ways. But you know, that's just my. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then everybody else in the bottom half of this list, I think, would be, I mean, Tyler Boyd's been a good player for a while. Gabriel Davis, I know, has been pretty uh, hit or miss, underwhelming since mm-hmm. uh, since his breakout a couple of years ago. Michael Thomas is a million years old, can't really stay healthy. Uh, I, I think the Patriots should do all everything in their power to get one of those top three guys on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of them hits the market, uh, obviously Higgins being the, the real prize of the whole group. But as you were saying, it does seem like there's a, a strong to quite strong chance that all three of them might not even hit the market. And to get them, you would have to uh, work out some kind of a trade. Yeah. One thing I really think they need, whichever free agent they get, is someone who can really lead the room and set a good example. And also somebody with significant playoff and hopefully Super Bowl experience. So for that, yep. Mike Evans is like the creme de la creme. Like, obviously, yeah. he's got the soft tissue injuries and like that's just been nagging him for years now. 
as we saw, like he'll drop some easy passes, but he makes too many spectacular plays. Like where you, your brain just completely forgets about the ones that he drops. It's like, oh yeah, he's still Mike Evans. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously playoff and Super Bowl experience. Tyler Boyd is kind of the closest in terms of that, where he's been to the Super Bowl. Very highly respected in the Bengals room as well. I know they just love him there. So not as a difference maker, Tyler Boyd, but I would like him in the room as kind of maybe a Z rotational slot with Demario Douglas, who you know is always going to be available, find the space and zone, just find a way to get open, be a really reliable target for you. Darnell Mooney is interesting. He's another guy who's kind of slight of frame or not Taekwon Thornton, but he has kind of Taekwon vibes where he's that skinny guy who's got a lot of speed, but I think he's a much better route runner. Still not a big difference maker. So I really think that probably Calvin Ridley is the only one on that list. I actually passed on him when I we did our um, – top 10 of our wish list yesterday, but I watched more of the tape. I thought drops were a big problem for him because statistically they are looking back. Honestly, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And he still got the ability to like threaten vertically. He still just stops on a dime in incredible ways, adjusts to the ball really well. So if we're talking realistic options, I feel like it's Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley and then just a bit of a decline there. I think Mike Evans, the, the rationale you laid out there is really makes a lot of sense kind of if you view this as sort of the new era of the Patriots offense, having him as kind of the centerpiece of the new Patriots passing game, even though he'd probably only be here for a couple of years, he is a guy that's that's getting up there in age, but he's been phenomenally productive for what, a decade now? What does he have, like yep. eight straight thousand, uh, thousand yard seasons? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that even though you, you probably bring him in, you're, you're not gonna get peak first team all pro Mike Evans, but he's still a very, very good player. Uh, and would give some give the Patriots something that they just haven't had in years now. No, I agree. All right, last one before I get you out of here. We have to touch on the draft. So, second round could be a very important pick, and some recent mocks having seven to eight offensive tackles going in the first. What should the Patriots' strategy be if all the top tackles are taken? Frankly, I don't know that all of them will actually be gone because this is such a ridiculously deep class. And also in these mocks, like sometimes – just guys slip. There's some position where you think it's loaded and just because another position, there's more depth or teams feel they have needs elsewhere. Like, especially when you're locked in, like, especially for the Patriots, you're locked in on offense. There are plenty of teams in the league who really need help on defense. There's a lot of good players on that side of the ball as well. But I will say personally, I still think you got to get a tackle with that second round pick just because if you wait till the third round, you're probably not getting somebody who can play any significant number of snaps for you. And unless they sign two free agents, like, we don't really know what the situation is with Trent Brown, whether it was really like a Belichick thing where he just didn't like the way he was treated. And maybe it's a little bit better with the Mayo regime where like you saw he was posting about Mayo constantly, didn't even acknowledge that Belichick left. So clearly he likes the change in uh, head coaching there. So maybe he comes back if you resign and went to that is a little different, but you just, I really don't know what they're going to do. So if they don't address the position significantly in free agency, I feel like you still have to get the best player available at tackle with that second pick, if not trade it back into the first towards the tail end to get somebody before they get snatched up. Yeah. I was just going to mention that that last point there, if it is a situation where you've got to run on offensive tackles and you really, you really view a drop off between a guy that's going to go at like 25 and whoever's going to be available in the second round, I think that's definitely a, a, a opportunity for a trade up there. Uh, I think a trade up would make a lot of sense for the Patriots if they end up in that situation, because if you do use that number three overall pick on Jaden Daniels or Drake May or whichever quarterback is there, uh, which is what I would advocate for at this point, 
you really need to get a high-end tackle very early in the draft. I, I think mm-hmm. either later in the first round or early in the second. Uh, it's worth noting and worth everybody keeping in mind that the mock drafts today are not going to be the same as the real draft in, in a couple of months. We haven't even had the senior bowl yet. We haven't had the combine. We haven't had any of those kind of pre-draft milestones, and especially for a position like offensive tackle that a lot of people, a lot of casual fans just paid zero attention to for the last, whatever, six months of the entire college football season. This is where you see names start to emerge. Obviously the, the Joe Alts and the Fashanus and, and the really high end guys have been household names for a while, but there's going to be some tackle from a random like Sunbelt school that goes out and blows up the combine and turns himself into a, a first or second round pick. That happens every year, especially at, at those more, obscure positions. So uh, when you're looking at exact kind of saying, oh man, the Patriots have pick whatever it is, 34, there's, there's not going to be a guy that falls here. The whole landscape is going to look very different uh, in a couple of months mm-hmm. once we go through this whole process. But I, I am with you there though. I, I don't think this is a position that the Patriots can afford to, to wait on no matter who they have at quarterback next year. Uh, they can have Patrick Mahomes back there. And if he was playing behind the tackle situation that the Patriots had this year, the Patriots still aren't going to have a successful offense. So uh, I think that needs to be a, a very high priority. Uh, It's why I see the, the potential benefit of a small trade down draft, someone like Joe Wall, then get a quarterback later. Still not what I would do at this point. I think getting that Mm -hmm. high end quarterback is just so important, but that's why I can see the rationale behind it because it's been a hole for several years now. Uh, and no matter who's behind center there, you need to get that fixed. Uh, and obviously it gets harder and harder to do the longer you wait. And they still do need weapons. So it's tough to say, okay, yeah, like give up capital to get back. But if you see there's a run on good tackles towards the end of the first round, you just got to read the tea leaves and be like, all right, we got to be aggressive and get our guy. If there's someone where they're like, they'd be a great fit in our system. Day one starter. Uh yeah, I, I really do think that unless you do start to see them start to trickle down, if you see that run, you got to be aggressive. Zach, thank you so much for joining us again. Always appreciate your time. Please let the people know where they can find you. And if you got anything good coming down the pipeline, we should be looking out for it. Yeah, you can uh, find me uh, on Twitter on X at uh, ZM underscore Cox. Uh, workshop in a new Twitter handle. I kind of hate it nowadays. <laughs> I may change it. Uh, there's, there's a shocking number of Zach Coxes out there in the world. So most of the good ones are already, uh, already snatched up, but, uh, yeah, not sure, uh, what exactly is next at this point, but keep an eye out. Uh, I'm sure we'll have something, uh, coming down the pike in the next couple of months here. Once again, thank you so much, brother. And thank you all as always for watching. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Peace.